Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Rocky, starring Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, and Burgess Meredith, written by Sylvester Stallone and directed by John G. Avildsen. Welcome back to Rice Smile Film. Uh, it's a time for a new cast. Uh, yeah, where did this is a... Uh, we got to come up with a cool name for that. This is just like a franchise cast, uh, so to speak. We did this last year with John Wick uh, covering chapters one, two, and three in sequential order. Gonna fly now, cast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that that's pretty good. But yeah, looking at the Rocky franchise from films one to six. Uh, yeah, we so we're gonna start from 1976, uh, the first Rocky film. Uh, and man, that that film is such a treat watching it. Um. You were quoting it the entire time, and I think you you said to me off mic that you think this is in contention for the film you've seen the most. Certainly is. That's awesome. It's got it's fifty plus for sure. Yeah, uh, not to a hundred. That's crazy, but it's over fifty. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, excellent. I can't wait to talk about some of this stuff and just kind of just the things you observe in the the character development and the the path that this story takes. But first, we're opening up a new uh, bottle of, of bourbon. This is Blanton's Single Barrel Bourbon Whiskey. We've never had this one, but we did open it up the other night. Yeah. But yeah, let's get right to it. So I had a question this week from a listener that asked, when do you all cut the podcast on Saturday? Do you really cut it Saturday in the morning? And I <laughs> said, yeah. And I said, are you getting to the question, which is, are you all drinking by 1030 in the morning? That's true. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. It is right now. 11. Tin tail. Yep. And we are bottoms up. So here's to you. Cheers to that. Yep. It's Cheers five, to Rocky. It's five o'clock somewhere. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. That Blanton's is nice. So, um, yeah. It's this, a sour mash. It, yeah. This is a, a sour mash made from some uh, rye whiskeys. Uh, Single barrel. Supposed to be tasting notes of citrus and vanilla. Actually, I get a little bit of this, that citrus. Something interesting about these toppers, though. So, you get like this jockey on a horse here, and I guess this is a bit of a collector's item for collectors because there's a there's an A on ours here, yeah. But they these spell out the name Blanton, so I guess it's a collector to find the B, the L, the A, and I guess the S has the jockey with this fist raise as he's crossing the finish line. Oh, that, that's cool. The S at the end of the Blanton's word. So maybe we'll keep this bottle. We'll keep this one, and then I guess we got to find the rest to complete the set. What a chore that would be. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's get this party started and let's start with our flight question. tired from running around the house just now <laughs> yeah but those kids were ch- oh that's the wrong movie. Yeah, that's, that's number two that's the next one yeah, sorry no that was, this is the one-armed push-up movie which i couldn't even do half the stuff he does in his training routine it's pretty impressive it's really impressive uh okay so we're starting out uh this flight question uh it, it just this is episode 82 of rice smile films we've been doing this year and a half now and I don't think we we've discussed on air about 
how we've met and our kind of relationship and our love for film and all of that. I don't know if we've ever really discussed why we call the podcast Rye Smile Film. So let's kind of give the listeners a little kind of background on why we chose that as a title for a film review podcast. So I guess I'll start and then you can pick it up. Okay. Jesse and I's history in this industry has had many different iterations, but for a significant portion of our journey into film, it was in writing Mm -hmm. screenplays. And through just a couple of happenstances, we tended to or produce the same line in a screenplay, which was a wry smile tickles the corner of someone you, someone's mouth. Most of the time her, but yeah, yeah their mouth. So R- think mischievous. Rye as in W-R-Y. Right. Mm-hmm. So like Mona Lisa like mm, ooh, good. a little something behind the grin that forecasts or speaks to uh, mischievous mm-hmm. actions. And after a few, I don't know, two or three in, we said, man, that line keeps coming up. I, and sometimes it comes up a few times throughout the screenplay. Like we get like really fond of it. Sometimes it's even the closing line in the screenplay. Exactly. Isn't it? Well, we just, I just come to like a point sometimes where I'm like, man, you know what would go good here? A wry smile tickles the corner of their face. Like you just picture it so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that just became nomenclature in the writing that we produced. And eight, nine, how many now? I think nine. Nine. Yep. It's in every one of them at least once. Mm-hmm. It's also essentially the name of the uh, business that we have, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Rice Smile Enter- uh, Entertainment Partners. Mm-hmm. And it fits in the podcast for the pun, and I'll let you have that. Excellent. Well, this all kind of started. So when we started writing, and it definitely took us early on a long time to kind of get through stories. It was re- we really fleshing things out. Now we, we got a good rhythm going. That's for sure. But whenever I'd come over, you'd mix me a drink, and, and sometimes we would just start like Jack Daniels and Coke, and like and and that and that that was good. But I remember one time, I don't know how you came into possession at all at once, but it must it might have been your birthday or like Christmas or something. Mm-hmm. But you're like Jesse, we're gonna do something different today. We're gonna do a taste test, and you had like at least five or six bottles of varying different brands and styles. And yeah, you poured me six little kind of shots and we did a taste test and I'll never forget that like, <laughs> cause I, I, I'm rather, I'm rather thin, like 5'10", 160 pounds. <laughs> so yeah, what we drink in the morning definitely hits me a little harder than I think it hits you. But <laughs> I remember that day, like after like taste number two, I was like, oh Jesus, like I was really feeling it. And by the time we finished all of them, I was like. I, I don't even, yeah, I don't even know if I can write right now. Yeah. But somehow, like the writing, I felt that day, I was like, man, the writing was really good that day, or maybe that was just in my brain. Was that Green Box? That might have been that or Memorial Day. Okay. Really early on, we did that. Yeah. And so then, like, we, it became experimenting and trying new bottles. So in between the writing, you and I bullshit about sports, movies, comic book nerddom all wakes of stuff yeah. and it would take so much time to get through all that, that by the time we went riding, it was already time for me to like go home. 
Well, don't forget the 10 to 15 minutes of whatever jazz track we had uncovered that mm. week that we had to play for yes, each other, too. Exactly. Which yeah. has kind of blue. I'm thinking Love Supreme. Like, mm-hmm. which, yeah, right. Yeah. So th- then that became, I was like, well, we should start up. Like, I've been listening to podcasts a lot as of late. And what they talk about is kind of what we do for 30 minutes to an hour sometimes. And so then when we were thinking of like a title, I was like, well, we like to drink bourbon. We like to talk about movies. We like to write movies. I was like, there's rye whiskey, which we're fond of. And then there's that, we kept, it came back to rye smile, that rye smile that tickles the corner of that person's face, that mischievous uh, moniker. And it just, and then that kind of fit. It just built. And from that, the cask system was developed mm-hmm. and how we were going to rate the films and how we were going to use the A to F rating that we came up with. And it just mm-hmm. was organically delivered, I think, in a way that, yeah. um, gosh, 82 episodes in. Mm-hmm. What, you know, the part of that that, I love too is the day you sat down and you said, you know, Matt, we spend, cause my wife had said this to me kind of off mic and out of earshot from you. Like if you and Jesse would stop talking so much and get to work, you guys might actually get something done once in a while. It's true. She was right. <laughs> yeah. But a part of it was just the social element. Mm-hmm. And that day you said, you know, if we did a podcast and got all of this out of our system, mm-hmm. we'd probably be more productive behind the computers. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that launches it back to Aquaman mm-hmm. of all things. Yep. And then what ended up happening is for a while, we kind of retired the keyboards and mm-hmm. just became the podcast guys. Now I think that we found some life there and we'll talk about that some other day Yeah. again. Um, but it ended up being, I think, such a pleasant endeavor mm-hmm. that it sort of superseded the writing. Yeah. And no regrets or remorse about that at all. Yeah. Um, and so I think at this point, mm-hmm. between the two of us with a nice title and a nice business and some some things that are interesting that are happening, I think we're in a pretty good place. But Rice Smile is sort of the, the moniker, I think, for everything that screen, the screenwriting world and movie world sort of encompasses for me and you. Yeah. And you know what? That's why I said sports and leisure. Yeah. Cause that also comes up Yeah, like on, on Mike here, yeah. but also in the writing, talking baseball, talking football. It's what this. music do we want to put in this scene as we write? Like yeah, exactly. all the time. Yep. It's, it's I, all part. It's all part of it. We strive one day to have like a logo out there of like a, like a snazzy Cary Grant esque gentleman in the shadows yeah. drinking a, a thing of bourbon, and then all we see illuminated is his wry smile kind of thing. Like that'd be cool. Like sure that's the logo right there. Uh, amen. Yeah. So any of you out there, if you can make that for us, <laughs> do it. Wry <laughs> smile films. Yeah. Make us a logo. But no, I thought that'd be interesting because I was just kind of thinking back. I was like, you know what? Like, right, like rice smile. Like, I get you get it. You get rye whiskey, but like, you don't get the like the backstory on why we called it that. Right. There's a lot of podcasts out there that are pretty self like my favorite murder or there's a great movie podcast out there called How Did This Get Made? Like, that's pretty obvious what that podcast is about. On this the one, nose. Yeah. This one, it, it takes a little bit more, but it's a more personal take than something so on the nose like that. And I think that's a perfect lead-in to today. To today's very film. personal take. Because mm-hmm. this movie, I think, is maybe the most personally... Has the most personal influence of on me that we've done. Excellent. Let's get into it. Let's rock so, and roll. Here's cheers. cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers. Hope you like uh, story time there, right, listeners. So let's go ahead and get on to our review breakdown of Rocky. You know, I've been coming in for six 
years, in six years you've been sticking it to me. I want to know how come. You don't want to know. Yeah, I want to know how come. You want to know? I want to know how. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead of that, you became a leg breaker. To some cheap, second-rate loan shark. To living? It's a waste of life. No truer words were ever said by Mickey in that regard to really get the fire lit under Rocky's ass to kind of really make something of his life. But let's get to that. Let's start at the beginning in a very interesting scene. This is a film that's about boxing, obviously. So what do we start? We start with the boxing match in like a Catholic gym of all places. Yeah, the mural on the wall is Jesus Mm -hmm. looking over them. And that's going to actually play into... um, I think a big moment later in the movie, mm-hmm. what matters in the location. Yes. And this place is filthy. They can barely get a breath of fresh air because their cigarette smoke oh. is so heavy. You can cut through it with a knife as the two fighters, which is Rocky and a man named spider Rico mm-hmm. are just tomato canning each other to death. They're getting pelted with beer bottles and cups. And it's just bread and circuses. For the boxing hungry. Mm-hmm. $5 gets you a couple hours of profanity-laced tirades fueled by Bud Light. Side bets. And regret, mm-hmm. you know? And well, so these guys just, there's no skill here. Yeah, that was going to say, I was like, it's always fascinating to be like, Rico gives him like a headbutt. And then even Ryan, like, he like essentially tackles him to the ground and starts pummeling him. Like, there's no like, you're right, there's no skill or proficiency with the sport of boxing it's just two guys brawling really for pennies no, oh yeah nothing <laughs> winner share is 65 losers is 40 and after they've been taxed and nickel dime to death i think spider rico who loses keeps 20 1790 or something the, like that the doctor feast they got come out bandage them all up yeah they get nothing so i mean 65 dollars to get your face kicked in is a desperate amount to begin with mm-hmm. by the time rocky pulls that fight out and walks away with his winner share. It's a lofty forty dollars mm-hmm. for locker. I love that they stick him for like fifteen dollars for locker and corner fees. Yeah, it's a scam. This, There's one locker in the whole place. This Catholic gym is scamming all their fighters to pocket the money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the collection dish gets. Yeah, passed. that's it's exactly. Yeah, they're passing the collection dish. So then we immediately go from from that to the streets of Philadelphia. And I guess I had noticed this, but maybe not. It didn't strike me as hard until this viewing. This film does a really good job of showing, like, just kind of like the slummy parts of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It reminded me a lot of the French Connection, actually. It's so true. I thought the same thing. Yeah, just like how like grimy, like uh, like graffiti laced. Even like when he's walking Adrian back to his apartment and that guy comes out of like like this like alleyway shadow, he's like the bum from the the bum from the shadows. <laughs> hey, get a job, you bum. Yep. Uh but yeah, we're introduced to Rocky and he's just kind of this like this street vagrant passerby doing boxing and then doing this loan sharking. But I think time now more than ever, let's talk about Sylvester Stallone a little bit and kind of how this is this whole franchise, this whole character essentially rests on his shoulders, but the whole thing's like his brainchild. Like this is his idea. The first thing before we go any further with that is I want to make it very clear Mm -hmm. that the character that he plays in this movie for as much as it might be a metaphor for his own career and so recognizable is in some ways 
very similar to Stallone, but mental capabilities vastly different. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain roles that people play that define them. Yep. Daniel Radcliffe is always going to be Harry Potter. Yep. Uh, to me, Harrison Ford is always going to be Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Yeah, he's got two. So give him credit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stallone is always going to be Rocky. And because Rocky, especially in the early days of the franchise, is rather oafish or mm-hmm. doofish, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways he was disregarded as the same guy. Yeah, sure. That's fair. Here's the truth. Mm-hmm. Stallone wrote that screenplay. In three and a half days. And it is a very linear and comprehensive, complete story. And that is no small feat. Mm -hmm. You can bust out crap in three days that makes no sense that no one cares about. Yeah. This is a solid story. And there has to be some level of intellect that we must acknowledge Mm -hmm. and talent that also must be acknowledged in this franchise. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the ground rules for this. Yeah. And if you disagree, this you're whole, crazy. This whole franchise, not just this film, but right. parts two through six, and even his involvement in the Creed series, too. Yeah, so there's plenty of stories here. So tell the one that you want to tell about production, pre-production stuff on this. Well, I just I just like, you know, Stallone at this point, and we even talked about it on Thursday, kind of like got his start in like Roger Corman, like B-list schlock, like Death Race 2000, and then like softcore Skinamax, Skinamax porn. Like, yeah. in fact, they went back and renamed the one he was in the Italian stallion after the success of this film. Right. So that's how he kind of was like making a living, like kind of a nothing actor. My favorite part of the story is really just that Stallone had the guts to just stick to his guns and that he wrote this thing and was going to shop it around. And it didn't matter how many people were going to reject him or slam the door in his face that the real um, kind of sticking point was, I have to play this character. Uh, and some, it, someone who's new to the new to Hollywood, you're just trying to get in, see Quentin Tarantino and the selling of um, Reservoir Dogs. Even before that, the one that uh, he punched out, what's his name? Um, Christian Slater. Oh, True Romance. There you go. Yep. That's him. Mm-hmm. He sold that for $40,000, which was a highway robbery, but it was so desperate to find some foothold that he did. Yep. Stallone writes Rocky. And sells it. And here's where the story, I think, gets really interesting and shows the dedication to two things, his craft Mm -hmm. and his dog. Yep. Stallone sells Rocky, and it comes to his attention that, of all people, James Caan is going to play Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Stallone couldn't fathom that, so he had to purchase the script back from... I don't know. I don't know who it was. Mm Mm-mm. It was before it got into Erwin Winkler and Robert Chadoff's hands. He was essentially broke before that. Yeah. And the price tag was lofty enough that whatever he had left, he had to get rid of all of it in order to retain the rights to it. And then I'll let you tell the story about Buckkiss the dog because it's why also, this is why we love him. This is heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, essentially having to do that and wager the chance to play this film and make this film happen he had no money i mean the guy was essentially poor bankrupt and he had to sell just to put groceries on the table for him and his then wife uh so he has to sell his dog butkus who ends up in in the film forty dollars to sell the dog for forty dollars what's that a week's worth of groceries maybe 
Yeah, God. Shocking that that's the number that he gets when he wins the first fight. Mm-hmm. $40. Mm. Ooh, good. Yeah. So, again, back to the corollary between Rocky and Sylvester Stallone. He does retain the rights to the script and is left with nothing, literally nothing, except the script. Yep. And and, and still hasn't been bought yet. Still so, have to shop it. Right. So he's three and a half days in, sold, and then in a worse position than he was because now he has no offers on the table for the script and he's had to give up everything to get it. Can you imagine having to sell your dog? Like there's a special bond between human and especially dog. Like there's a certain bond that goes with that relationship. I can't even fathom the emotions that would go into having to do something like that. No, it's heartbreaking. But it does have light at the end of the tunnel because after he does get the film sold and uh, Erwin Winkler and Robert Chodoff, like they, they, they ran an interesting company. And I, if I remember, I think they also produced Raging Bull as well. You know, yes, they have a yes, knack they for uh, boxing films. But they had like an interesting stipulation in the way they made their films that as long as the people could keep it under budget, uh, they could give some amounts of creative control to the people involved. So thank God. Yeah. I think they, they agreed to, we'll keep this under a million dollars and yes, Stallone, you can go ahead and play, play the character for them. That was probably a cost saving mechanism. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I'm certain that after the success of raging bull, these two men had no idea mm-hmm. that this was going to be frankly more successful. Sure. Cause it is. Well, this film 1 million budget, 225 million worldwide. So it was the biggest hit of 76 and the second biggest hit of 77 after Star Wars. It carried over into the next year. It's crazy. How much money it made. Yeah. But that's just the first one. <laughs> that's just the first one. Okay, so to, 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 to stop the, the waterworks from the listeners, <laughs> after Stallone's now almost kind of like a household name and the film, and we'll talk about the Oscars at the end of the episode because that's interesting too. Uh, it's a split. It's, it's almost like the, the fight, how the fight plays out. Right, good. He says, I got I got money now. I'm going to go buy Buckus back. I got to get my dog back. So the guy he sold it is $40. So like this guy uh, obviously knew that Stallone was this famous actor now. And then somehow had he had the balls to wager. No, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna sell him to you for forty. I want fifteen thousand. And albeit Dan Stallone paid fifteen thousand to get his dog back. Like that's awesome. You know, Rocky's story is one of perseverance and dedication mm-hmm. and singular focus, mostly on the side of good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When Stallone wrote this, he wrote this obviously from his own heart. Mm-hmm. One of the worst things you can do on a spec screenplay is write your passion project right out of the box. Yeah. There's no question that he did that. And that story that you just told, which was how dedicated am I to seeing this project come through with my vision? And then once it's done, getting back to the things that matter is so clearly evident in the story mm-hmm. of his dog. Yep. 15K to buy back the bull mastiff that he sold for $40. And he did it. Yeah. That's a great story. Like that you see that that makes you just think differently about the the man. I mean, 
actors rightfully get a bad rap at times because a lot of them are spoiled and live a very lavish lifestyle. But when you can tell stories like that, and I remember when we did John Wick, actually, I told the story about how Keanu Reeves went and paid all the effects and uh, stunt workers and everything on the Matrix sequels each a million dollars because he had made something like $250 million. He's like, I don't need all this money, but these guys are the ones that made this role happen. Like those are great stories. Like those, like really kind of show that they're they're human people too at the same time. And then to look at who they had cast, James Caan, obviously off the success of The Godfather, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a list talent, high demand, well, well, well sought and appreciated, broad shoulders that are hairy, hairy broad shoulders indeed, and say that's not who can play this role, mm-hmm. and then to endeavor to get the script back, yeah. That's usually it's death. That that script is dead at this point. Mm-hmm. It's over. Yep. The story ends. But through perseverance and luck. And that's kind of the, the what Rocky is. It's a story of perseverance and luck. Yep. Like let's talk about the rest of the characters in this thing. So. Well, and also can I say one more thing real quick? Yeah. And how one creates the other. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of times success in life is quote unquote catching lightning in a bottle. Yep. For that to happen, Jesse, mm-hmm. I firmly believe yeah. that you have to continually get out in the rainstorm. Oh, yeah. That's perseverance. Yeah, you have to put yourself out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether through failure and failure and failure, you got to wait for one to stick. To that. Yeah. Amen. To that. But Rocky ain't the only character in this film. One thing that I've always loved about this franchise is just it's just peppered with such colorful characters and colorful is like the most appropriate word. So mm. let's start with Adrian, uh, played by Talia Shire. Who I told you that's so that's Coppola's sister. I told you Jason Schwartzman's mother. Yeah, part of that whole uh, Coppola family train. But uh, yeah, so she plays Adrian, this uh, lonely pet shop owner, who's the the sister to um, to Polly, who's kind of Rocky's. Just kind of, I don't even know if they're friends, but they're just like local like bar guy that I run into on the nightly. Yeah. And Adrian's interesting because she's just so quiet, almost like Shelley Duvall, Mousy mm-hmm. in The Shining. But there's just like this like quiet naivete about her. And Rocky's just like infatuated with this woman, like spending all this time writing these jokes that don't land. She could kind of care less. But at the same time, she's kind of really into him, too. Like this is like the one man like maybe ever that's like paid her the most attention that actually bothers to come in every day to say hi hello i want to take you out this and that so i think she's interested but just like i think scared at the same time the thing that's interesting about this to me is her ties to khan in the godfather and then his removal but yet her continuance in the story Mm. i don't know if they were a package deal that's interesting Coppola is a major player at this time. Oh, yeah. In, and that name helps. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't because she's not even using it. Mm-hmm. Shire is what she goes by. Yeah. Um, I wonder what that conversation was like in the, in the Coppola household. So you'll take one of the three big guys, and not Pacino or Brando, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Con, you know, James Conn yeah. and his sister, and you'll kick out him and keep her like i don't know how this movie had then at this point isn't shit canned yeah unless behind the scenes francis ford coppola is more influential and gracious enough to not take credit for it mm. that name and her lineage had to have helped on some level right yep 
Am I crazy to say that? Yeah, I think it certainly helped. Maybe not in the starring role, but like, yeah, the Godfathers 1 and 2 were gigantic films up to this point, like huge. And she was an integral part in those films. And that name carries resonance and weight in the industry at mm-hmm. this time and still today. Yeah. So that's uh, there's a whole lot of unpacking there that I'm sure yeah. is quite the story. I also, I do like the evolution of her character too. Like it's like, oh, you yeah. know, with the glasses and then she loses the glasses throughout the film. And then like, she's like opening up more to her, her identity and, and just this relationship and really being into it at the end. And she gives us the kind of the, one of the last lines here at the end, but I like her evolution as the series progresses too, because, um, it becomes like a, like points of contention at times, Rocky's moral conscience, uh, but she's always there in his corner no matter what through thick and thin, which is which is really nice. There's lots of personal anecdotal moments in these films for me, but I'm going to go ahead and give you one right now. Okay. Growing up, one of my early, early rock influences was Pat Benatar. Mm-hmm. I still love Pat Benatar today. Yeah, she's good. It's a crime Mm -hmm. that she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's got like seven Grammys or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. She won it for five straight years, like the late 70s to the mid 80s. That's awesome. Best female rock vocalist over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I liked her music, and in a weird way, I had a little thing for her. Mm -hmm. Talia Shire has a Pat Benatar vibe going on. Kind of looks like her a little bit. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. Um, (laughs) Certainly doesn't have the pipes. Mm -hmm. But- in a strange way, there's a similarity between the two of them. So from an early age, and I asked you when we were watching today, when she's sitting in her room and she asked Rocky, do you need a roommate? Mm-hmm. Is she good looking? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's her friendly nature. And I don't know how to say it other than that, that makes her even more so. But only for Rocky. Yeah. And that's a good balance for him because as he wades through the fighting world, he's got... Polly to deal with and then um like senile Mickey to deal with. Like he's got like all these other people in his life that are like like really intense and volatile, but she's not. And she's kind of really never that for him. Let's take the scene that we'll get to later, which is Rocky and Adrian's first kiss, and let's replace those two with James Kahn and anyone else. Oh no, yeah. Part of it's just because we can only see Rocky and Adrian mm-hmm. in the roles that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But part of it also is not just her and him, but all of them together have a very unique and special chemistry that didn't just start through familiarity of six films that started from page one mm-hmm. on this story. Well, I really see that in the in the little uh, the ice skating scene. Oh, man. Ah, ah, ah. I just dislocated my finger. Ah, look at that. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, wait, hey, hey. It ain't your fault. Look, see? Look, I had it. It's all. It's an old wound. You see that? Look. Bong. See? Nothing. It bends like that. See, I originally done it. Look, push the button. Bong. Works. No, it ain't your fault. Look, I'm gonna show you something. Seven minutes. Yeah, I originally, I originally done it. I carry pictures of all my fights. I originally done it in the baby Crenshaw fight. You see that? Big baby's about the size of an airplane. I broke both my hands on his face. I lost that fight, but that's a nice picture, don't you think? I broke both my hands on this guy's face, and I lost that fight. But it's a good picture, right? Am I talking too loud? (laughs) You know what makes that scene work a lot too is uh, originally they had intended like it was gonna be like a like a packed ice skating rink, but they couldn't afford to pay like a hundred people. It's better. Oh my god! Like it's just the two of them on the ice makes it 
all about them versus just a barrage of just people around them. Right. That way you can kind of focus on the the seedlings of this of this thing starting. You're not distracted by just busy. Yeah, yeah. Instead, you're able to concentrate mm-hmm. on just what they're saying, and you're watching the relationship grow right before your eyes. Mm-hmm. And again, it's believable because of their chemistry. Mm-hmm. We talk about on-screen couples and who was and who wasn't and how it worked. And who. This has to be one of the most successful ever. So much so that the line that is most quoted from Rocky is what? Religion. Come on, right? Yep. So that speaks volumes about the two of them. With two relative unknowns that seem about the right speed for each other. And in that scene, Mm -hmm. he even addresses her maybe a little bit later. Like, I'm a couple of shop coconuts. You're dumb and I'm smart. That whole, he acknowledges it right away. Well, you saw how much I was laughing once they're in the apartment. And he's like, he's on the couch. Why don't you you come sit up or sit sit on the couch with me over here? There's big bugs in there. (laughs) And And then then she... (laughs) The couch with the beer bottles stuck in the cushion turned upside down that if you lean on them, they'll shatter. Oh, yeah, yeah. His apartment is, you said it best, like, it'd be lucky to be a Shantate. Yeah, yeah. E.T.'s a little Shantate. Uh, It's a trash bucket. Like, we we were trying to figure out what the hell that mattress, elongated mattress in the middle of the hallway is, like some makeshift punching bag that has foam sticking out of it and a big hunting knife in the middle of it. So it's either a punching bag or... Really bad insulation around the hot water heater, yeah, right? or maybe oh, both. Yuck, I never thought of that. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, like the hangers in that are just pieces of metal that have come out of the wall. And the other thing too, we both tried to look at it. There's mm. some sign on the front of his apartment. I don't know if it's a condemnation or an notice eviction. or an eviction notice. Yeah, uh, he doesn't have any money. Well, the only money he's making is with uh, Joe Spinelli. Also from The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, loan sharking from him and just uh, being a collector, a bill collector. Gazo. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Okay. So we're talking about the Adrian and Rocky bit here a lot. Okay. When we see him poorly trying to roll on her early in the film with his bad jokes, mm-hmm. what do you think she's trying to deliver to the audience about his advances. Like, what do you see from her with his clear interest in her? I think it's a guard. Like, it's it's a guard and a hesitation, but she's clearly into it. And yeah. it, it's very evident in the scene when he's putting his finger in with the parrots. Yeah, but it's some fly tailor the giant worm. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, I'm going to go, Adrian. I'll come back tomorrow. I'll tell you a new joke. And he says, good night, Adrian. And... If she wasn't into him, she would just, he leaves. But she says, good night, Rocky. And that's enough that she's, she's into this. She's just, she's just nervous. She's just really scared. And she's, and she's really good at playing that throughout this film. When he tells the shell, shell shocked, shell shocked joke, Mm -hmm. shell shocked, you can see that, here we go, Mm -hmm. a wry smile tickles the corner of her mouth a little bit. She acknowledges the humor. But for a millisecond, yeah. And not in a, uh, a clear, brash way. Mm-hmm. It's very understated. She's the ingenue that's interested, but so afraid, and then also worried, because we spoke about this earlier, the relationship that she has with her brother, Rocky's best friend, Polly. Well, let's talk about him next, too. Borders on maybe abusive. Ab- abusive, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Burt Young. 
Yeah, Bert Young. We, we couldn't figure out a movie he had been in before this. Maybe a military guy based on the photographs uh, yeah. uh, that he's got there in the office. But yeah, I think just Rocky's just bar buddy that he's kind of <laughs> taken a shine to who really wants a job with Gazo. Mm-hmm. He works at a meatpacking plant, but like he's this drunk, belligerent, almost jealous of Rocky is how I've always pictured that character through the whole franchise. <laughs> I think early on it changes as the movie progresses, mm-hmm. but Polly seems to feel like everybody owes him one. Like he might do you a favor and for that favor, the remittance payment is 10 times the amount. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. gives Rocky some throwaway piece of steak from a piece of beef that he's cut that's going to get pitched that's mostly fat anyway. Mm-hmm. And for that, Rocky owes him to the ends of the earth and back. Yeah, exactly. He does it with Adrian. Mm-hmm. That being said, though, he does have an integral role in Rocky's development because he does end up being his after Mickey most important male support until Creed gets on in three. Mm-hmm. And it also gives Rocky a foil that oh, yeah. when he's not fighting Creed, mm-hmm. he's fighting his best friend. And yeah. that is just rife with conflict. Mm-hmm. That's, that's his best friend. <clears throat> yeah. You got to be, I'll, I'll pass. Yeah. Maybe I can do better or maybe Rocky can't do better. And yeah. that's also the theme in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we get it. We get it really good in, in, in this sequence here. And I don't raise you to go with this scumbub. Yeah, come on. Want to hit on me? Come on. I'll break both your arms so they don't work for you. <laughs> That's right. I'm not good enough to meet with Gazzo. Woo. That's what I think of Gazzo. Now you're a big shot fighter on the way up. You don't even draw a crumb to your friend Paulie. When I go and get your meat every morning, you forgot that night I even give you my sister too. Well, if they would say that. I'm a pig. A pig gets you the best. That's a really important scene for both those characters because it's Adrian really taking charge of something for the first time in this film. But it's also Polly bearing his soul on how he truly feels. Like you just said earlier, like he feels like everyone owes him something. Like everyone owes him a favor. Everyone has to like lay hand and foot over him for everything in his life. And he's just this drunk, belligerent fool. But you're right, the foil. Like that's exactly what he is. If you look at where Polly lives, which is obviously provided by Adrian's minimum wage pet shop, yep. clerk girl job. Mm-hmm. And then his job is essentially butcher. He's far better off than Rocky is. Mm-hmm. Rocky works for Gazo and it's given him about 600 square feet that 300 are taken up by the roaches that are crawling on the floor. The big bugs. The big bugs in there. <laughs> Polly has a house. Yeah. Standalone with a front door. Mm-hmm. Not in the slum. Like we said, Rocky's apartment would be proud to be a Shantate. Yep. So he's doing better, but he wants to work for Gazo because there is that little bit of 
rebellious, foil, angry villain in Polly early on. And it's going to play later. It's going to be one of the things that helps Rocky later. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's a huge obstacle. Yeah. Well, he wants he wants he wants more action than the meatpacking plant. Well, that I Jesse when he tells Adrian in that scene, yeah, I don't get married because of you. No, you don't get married because right now you have a baseball bat in your hand. You're loaded and you're unloading on everything that matters. It has nothing to do with Adrian. No one would marry you. Who the hell would marry you? The robot, part four. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you kind of just stole my thunder, which. That's kind of a laughable moment later on, but are we sure? Uh, maybe not. <laughs> that might be the only one that would have him. Yeah, he does exactly. give her a female name. Well, even he he brings a date to the fight. Cost a whore. Two hundred dollars, two fifty, probably from got hooked up from Gazo. Yep. Yeah. So that being said, I still really like Polly. I do too. He's a fucker mm-hmm. on high, but I still really like him, mm-hmm. and he does provide Rocky some support that Mickey doesn't marketing. <laughs> well, essentially he does get him the robe. Yep. Um, and no, he does set up the television crew and it's going to be interesting to see his arc as this series progresses. All the characters really, but his is, I think very fascinating. So let's, then let's do the, well, let's, we got two more. You well, yeah, do, let's, yeah. Let's do the next character. Let's do, let's do Mickey next. Um, Burgess Meredith, a classically trained Shakespearean actor coming along to play the toughest trainer that ever has been. This guy makes weathered leather from the good and the bad and the ugly that's been in the sun for 60 years look comfortable. You would rather sleep on a cactus using it as a pillow than have anything remotely close to relationship with Mick. He is hard. Yep. And man, does he deliver from that accent to the vegetation on his ear. That is... A stellar performance. Is that makeup or his ears really look like that? I looked at it really hard. Yeah. It it's a bit discolored. Okay. But that does I mean a lot of times cauliflower ear is discolored. That's a good little uh uh addition to the character, just like peppering in. Like I, I always kind of remember that little bit too of the you fought this guy that put a nail between the 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 forefinger and punched a bunch of holes in his face. Like yeah. my guy, like Mickey's had a rough boxing career. So he's real hard on Rocky. I mean, real in the beginning, like he throws Rocky out of his locker that he's had for six years because this other guy has more potential because you're spending too much time with the loan sharks. Like you're not a boxer. You're a bum. Yep. Uh, tomato. Yeah, you're, you're a tomato. Uh, but once Rocky gets this, as we talked about this once in a lifetime opportunity, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Mickey sees that as, I think, A, an opportunity for himself maybe maybe primarily for himself to really kind of make whatever career he had just and all this training that he's done the last 30 years uh, justified. All of the people in this movie, save Creed, mm-hmm. see a brighter day just over the horizon and it all hinges on Rocky. Adrian, a better male. Mickey, a more respected boxing establishment. Polly, a chance for a better life, even though he's wrong, with Gazo. Yep. All of these people need Rocky, and frankly, so does Creed for the marketing piece, if you want to be honest about it. That's why the title of the film is Rocky. And Rocky needs none, or other than like Adrian, really doesn't have time for any of them. Think about what we've seen from Rocky. Mm -hmm. Like the first bit of advice that we get from him towards anybody is towards, what's that little gal's name? 
Mary. Uh, Marie. Cap- Marie. Mm-hmm. Got to see a dirty wood here. Whoa. Like he gives her this advice about how she shouldn't hang out with the wrong crowd. And she basically tells him to pound sand and or up your Screw creepo. you, creepo. All of these people. That's going to come back later too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. All of these people are heavily reliant on a man mm-hmm. that can't even hold down stable employment. Yeah. This is literally like the screenplay and the story of the movie itself, a Hail Mary. Yep. And they've got a whole team waiting for that catch in the end zone that never happens. It, it, it Those never happen. Well, let's talk about that scene uh, between um, between him and Mickey when he actually comes to him. Don't oh. around me! Well, you'll try great acting by him in, 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 right. in that that's almost like a monologue of just tenacity and aggravation and and just rage and he sells it really good and i love how the scene ends because the whole time mick's saying he must have says you need a manager kid he must say it at least 10 times i should have counted leaves because rocky doesn't want anything to do with him because of how badly he's treated him in this film so far mm-hmm. rocky has this tirade blowout and then the film plays out brilliantly from an exterior shot of Rocky's apartment as Mickey's walking down the street. Rocky comes down, regrets everything he just said, runs all the way down, and we don't even need to hear anything. They make peace. They break bread. You're going to be my manager, my trainer, and we're going to make this thing happen. It's a great scene. It's one of the best scenes in the film. I think Rocky realizes if he passes on Mick, he's got no shot at all. We're going to get to what Rocky's goal is Mm -hmm. here eventually. Yeah. But I think per that thought that he has in his mind is what this fight offers him. Mickey offers a means to an end. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got to swallow a real tough pill of, of humility here. Mickey's treated Rocky very poorly. Yeah, very bad. He put his stuff on Skid Row, Mm -hmm. forgotten. Calls him a bum in front of everybody. Yeah. And... As much as I just said that everyone in this film is reliant on Rocky coming through to make their lives better, Rocky also seeks that out from them. And what we've created, Jesse, and this is Mm -hmm. nothing new, is we now have- A family. You got it. (laughs) We have wife. We have brother. Father. Main star. And we have father. Mm -hmm. And we have villain. Yep. Not yet, but we'll get to that. Bully. (laughs) Yeah. We do. Well, let's talk about him next, too. Can I go with this? Because there's something I want to say about this that I think it will make you laugh. Please do. Carl Weathers is mostly an unknown entity, and I'll let you tell the casting story. I want to tell the story, the backstory of Carl Weathers. You can tell that one too. Go ahead. His most notable achievement prior to this film would be his very brief career in the NFL, which consisted over two seasons of eight games and then three years in the CFL. Mm -hmm. 
You want to know where Carl Weathers played college football? Mm. San Diego State. Oh, really? Guess who the coach was there? Mm. Don Coriel. From my Air Coriel, I love the Charger early days. Awesome. This is proof for all of the Charger fans out there that on some level, Don Coriel did actually have a defense on the field to go with that offense because Carl Weathers made the NFL as a linebacker. That might be shocking for those people that have any history with the same football team that I do because they didn't play a lot of defense, especially during those Dan Fouts, Air Coriel you know, days. Yeah. The, the game plan on defense was score 50 because we're going to give up 48. <laughs> but I guess it works. Um, <clears throat> except when it's 17 million degrees below freezing in Cincinnati and somehow the heaters on their sideline don't work. Oh, and yeah. to that, fuck you, Bengals. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we were all deprived of the Super Bowl. We never got Montana and Fouts. Yes. But I digress. Yeah. He makes it in the NFL, I guess, with the Bills and then for a game with the Raiders and then gets cut and goes to the CFL. Mm. And then goes back to the University of San Francisco and gets his master's degree in theater. Awesome. How about that? That's a cool story. Don Coriel. Yeah. To that man. God rest him. If you like passing in the NFL, you owe a lot to Don Coriel. (laughs) No defense. No defense. (laughs) Well, go ahead and why don't you just just keep going and why don't you just tell how he came into possession of this role. So Stallone's really an unknown still in Hollywood circles, but he is holding a casting call for the most important role opposite him, which is the villain. Apollo Creed. Can we just talk about what a great name that is, too? Yeah, go. Apollo Creed, like... Strong and powerful and glorious and, yeah. There's something to Stallone's writing of the villains in this series. Oh, yeah. The names just rock. Like, if Clubber Lang, Ivan Drago, even Tommy the Machine Gun, like, that's fine. Mason Dixon. Mason the Line Dix. Like, good names. Like, yeah, like... They just they just ooze like villainy. Yes, the master of disaster. And these just red, white, and blue is his attire. It's the bicentennial. He's gonna put on this fight to give someone a chance. But yeah, yeah, go keep going. Open casting call, and it's lined from you to me and back fifteen times with similar looking Apollo Creed like characters. <clears throat> Weathers goes in for the casting call with. I think it's Chardoff, maybe it's Winkler, and the quote-unquote casting agent, which is Stallone. Yeah. And the casting call goes something like, we need to see how you move, so would you mind sparring a little bit with the casting agent? So Stallone stands up, and they kind of dance around and shuck and jive a little bit, and essentially the conversation moves to, look, if you want this part, I need you to stop punching me and actually show me what you've got. At this point... Weathers drops Stallone with a right cross to the chin on the floor. Mm. Stallone rises, shakes his hand, and says, nice to meet you. I'm Rocky, and you're Apollo. And the story is written. That's awesome. God, isn't that great? That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how they found him. Well, he plays an interesting part in this because he is the, the one of many antagonists in the thing, but the main one. But he's the conduit that is going to put Rocky's whole arc into motion, which is... I'm going to give a local Philadelphia fighter on the 200th anniversary of this country a chance at the heavyweight title against me. And what I love the most about this is it's purely promotion for him. It's a show. It's a showboat, literally a showboat when he comes to the arena. But it's just him to kind of show his popularity, his charisma, his personality. And I like when it changes, and it changes in this scene right here when Rocky's pounding the meat. Mm. 
Uh, that sounded dirty, but he's punching the the meat in Polly's locker for the news here, and just got even dirtier. Punching the meat in Polly's locker. There's so many things said in just like the background of the sound that if you don't pay attention to, you miss, especially at the end sequence. But uh, here, Creed's talking about promotional this and uh, getting a tax break in Canada, <laughs> and then make, get sending flowers to the someone, the wife of the mayor. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. And Tony Burton. His trainer, who's going to be a prominent figure in this entire series, too, from Sultan Precinct 13, yeah. is watching the footage. And I think there's a moment when he, like, literally sits up in his seat and shifts. And I think he realizes, oh, my God, like, this is a bad. He already said already, I don't want you messing with no Southpaw, which is a left-handed boxer. Yeah. But you get this. <laughs> Hey, champ, you want to come look at this boy you're going to fight on TV? Looks like he means business. Yeah, yeah, I mean business, too. Hey, Shirley, you got any more coffee out there? Oh, certainly, Mr. Creed. I'll get you some right away. It's just so thrown away. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I mean business, too. Like, he's he doesn't even consider Rocky a thing until he's in the ring with him. He's worried about his promotions and all of the endeavors that he's labored in abroad and... Everything else other than the fight, because this is just a throwaway fight. It's not. And yeah. Tony Burton sees it. In that, it like, literally, he's like, he just, he just, like, shifts in his seat and is like, oh, what boxer goes and punches prime rib in a meat locker as a training mechanism? And his hands are literally, like, busted bloody. If I'm not mistaken, I think the next line, if not right after this, but a moment after this is... Apollo Creed asks his secretary to go get him more coffee. Yep. Surely, is there any more coffee mm-hmm. out there? Yeah. Okay, so this is important because what you're seeing from Creed is what Rocky's true battle is, and that's to be recognized as something other than forgotten or insignificant. Someone that takes cheap shots. S- yeah. Someone to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. He started to. Adrian's taking him seriously. Yeah. I guess maybe Polly has. Mm-hmm. Mick has at least taken the time. Yeah. But those are well, all about... Well, he, he's about to take him seriously because once they bring the cup man into the thing, yeah. like they're talking about him as Rocky's going to the locker room. He's like, we got a real chance here. Like This guy goes to the body like I ain't never seen anyone do, which is Rocky's actual boxing strength throughout the series. Is he's a body... He takes a beating, but he's he's always been good at going to the body. Yeah, has a very interesting defensive style, <laughs> which is I'm going to block these punches with my face so you won't hit my body. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. But again, that theme, especially in these first two films, is what's really going to matter because it's Rocky establishing himself as something other than, I don't want to say unimportant because that's not the right word, misbegotten, mm-hmm. unfortunate, incapable. I think that's the word I like for him. Like he doesn't want to be seen as incapable, but to prove that to them mm-hmm. is periphery. Yeah. He's got to prove it to himself. I don't think that's more evident than in the sequence uh, right before the fight when he's kind of sleepless night and he goes to the arena and he's looking at those murals, big one of Creed, red, white, and blue, Captain America up there. And then one of him, like all, like his, his murals, like undefined, it kind of looks like him, but he's got these like red shorts with the white stripe and the boxing promoter comes in and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, Hey, they got the mural wrong. I'm, I'm wearing white shorts with the red stripe. And the promoter says, 
does it really matter? He's like, he's like, get some sleep. I'm sure you'll give us a terrific show. He's he can't even be taken seriously in like his appearance. Like he's just it's just so thrown away with disrespect that they they don't take this seriously at all. Right. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody takes him seriously. That's exactly it. And you know what? That was actually a production goof on the mural. They painted it wrong. Well, that I think that it's, it might be the most important scene in the movie for me to explicate Rocky's character and how everyone else sees him. And that also ties back to what we saw earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. So the first opening scene, right? They're fighting in the church and there's a mural of Jesus looking over them mm-hmm. as sort of the protector or guardian and they are all in an anterior position, not only geographically on the screen, mm-hmm. but in hierarchy of of humanism yep. to the Almighty, right? Yep. Now, here Rocky's got a Jesus-like photo or canvas piece of art erected as a monument to him, mm-hmm. and they got the goddamn colors wrong. Mm-hmm. So he's getting closer, but he's still not there yet, and the line that you just said from Jurgens. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter, does it? I'm sure you're going to give us a great show anyway. Yeah. Just don't go out there and be the tomato that we all know you are, Rocky, and we'll all be happy. Yeah. And you're going to get handsomely paid for it. Make it interesting. Man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about two things, and then we'll get to the main event. So this series is known for... One of the things it's known for is it's just great training montages. Oh, yeah. And... This one's set to Gonna Fly Now. And we're going to talk about Bill Conti here uh, towards the end because the music plays an important part about why I feel the way I do about the this film. Okay. Or this whole series, really. But, man, I can't think of anything that just... It's just a call to action. It's, uh, it's the feel-good moment of the film. It's when you see Rocky running through the... The gypsy grocers, it's not what they are, but that's what they look like. Kind of, yeah, that's actually well said, yeah. Uh, you kind of see them taking a look to him, like a little bit like, hey, we kind of know that guy that's running here. They throw him an apple. Like, he's kind of turning heads a little bit in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, compared to the beginning when he's just a ghost. A ghost in a ghost town, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeesh. But then we get this this just brilliant piece of, man, this is just a, the stand-up and cheer moment of all time. Yeah. Matt, do you know how many people probably do that run in Philadelphia daily? Oh, there's probably people that just sit there and roll their eyes by the day on like, oh, here we go. Something we've never seen before. Look, another picture on Facebook that everyone has. Oh my gosh, you're so creative. Running up the Rocky stuff. Like that's how iconic this sequence is. And it's earlier in the film, we see him do this and he can barely get up the stairs. He's clutching it. That's how I run up the stairs (laughs) to get up there. Yeah. But here it's just the capper on the end of this training montage where he's 
literally, and he's going to do some amazing things in, in these training montages, but in this, he's doing like one-handed push-ups. Mm-hmm. They're mashing him with the, the medicine ball in the stomach. Um, <laughs> the way he's hitting, hitting that, 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 um, hitting the bag, like, like, like an actual boxer would. I mean, Stallone put in the work to like, look like an authentic boxer. Mm-hmm. And then when he's running there along like the shoreline of the the harbor against this ship in these Chuck Taylor high tops, which I'd roll my ankle in if I tried to run, man, is I couldn't run that fast. Man, he's booking it down this thing, hauling ass. Yeah, and then gets to the top, throws his arms up in there. This is triumphant moment that he's he's at least made it to peak physical condition that I can I think I can take this guy. Mm-hmm. The the. The mere image of that in the second movie is even better because, and we'll get to that next week, but here he's by himself, a man, a champion for himself uh, before the main event. It's a, it's a great moment. It's, it's, how do you not stand up and cheer at that? I mean, the music tells you to essentially. As much as we just dogged everybody out that takes the picture at the top of those stairs, the mm-hmm. reason that that is so iconic is because that taps into a sense of accomplishment that everyone can recognize in this film. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the film, when he saw him attempt the same run, Fueled by raw eggs oh as my his God. pre-morning workout smoothie. Gross. Yep. With the yolks all over his filthy sweats. Yeah. He's not even close. Well, he's kind of close, but he doesn't finish the run. He limps up the stairs and then limps home. Yeah. At this moment, when he jumps and he still has enough energy, arms extended to spring around, what we have and what we all recognize is an overcoming of a major obstacle. And you know what that obstacle's been? Stop drinking soda, stop eating donuts and ding-dongs and chocolate and smoking and be a better version of yourself because so many people are dependent on you. And this, to me, is hugely important for this franchise. Be disciplined. Be disciplined, Mm -hmm. Jesse. As someone who wants to be a good dad, Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot. I don't want to get emotional here on the mic, but it's going to happen at some point. (laughs) That scene, for me... As a young youngster, yeah, defined what I thought male should be mm-hmm. and made me want to be better in that space. Oh. I wanted to grow up and be him. That happens with music, and I'm not I'm not special in that. Everybody has characters that they aspire to. Yeah, but to this day, yeah, the relationship and how he treats Adrian, and especially we'll talk about that in the third film. Yeah, and what that man feels like he needs to do to and with himself in order to meet the needs of those people that he cares about is so noble and righteous Mm -hmm. that he, Rocky, Stallone, you make me want to be a better man. And that's why people do that same fucking run. Yeah, it's a great moment to that. (laughs) To that. So let's talk about the other important moment. You set it up a second. So after he goes and sees the discolored mural that got wrong, he goes back to his apartment. And Adrian's asleep there, and he comes and sits on the bed and just says, I can't do it. And she's like, do what? He's like, I can't beat Creed. And then he kind of says, he kind of lays down and goes into this really great scene of no one's ever gone the distance with Creed. And he's like, he's like, I've all I've wanted to prove is that I could, you know, go as long as that as with someone like that, to be there standing when that bell rings, uh, to go the distance, which becomes a moniker for this entire franchise is what I want. I don't even need to win. I don't even need to beat him. I just need to prove that I belong in the same ring with him. Right. That's Rocky's goal. That's his that's his end game in this in this film, which is very noble. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
It's not someone going like, I'm going to go and I'm going to win. I'm going to be the new champion. It's like, I just want to prove that I can last and be standing. He doesn't want to win the fight. Yeah. After Jurgens kind of poops on him and says, who cares what your short colors are? Just go box. Mm -hmm. He goes back and he climbs in his tiny little bed that's barely big enough for him with his girlfriend slash going to be wife. She puts his arm around him and he says, my whole life I've been forgotten. I've never mattered. And no one's ever gone the distance with the champ. And Mr. Jurgens was right. I'm not going to beat this man. I just want to go the distance. Mm -hmm. I just want to persevere because it's not about persevering against Creed so he can be famous. It's about persevering the obstacles that he's faced on a daily basis. Yeah, perfect. Yep. Think about that scene Mm -hmm. and the first scene in his apartment when we start, which is when he's looking at his vanity Mm -hmm. and there's all the pictures of himself and he takes that one, which is actually young Sylvester Mm -hmm. Stallone, like second grade photo of Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And you can tell when he looks at that character Mm -hmm. and then looks in the mirror at himself that he has not aspired to what he hoped he would be at that time. He's disappointed in his current status of what he's doing. I'm going and I'm getting $40 for these bullshit fights, working for this loan shark. Like I I don't have like a good life. So by hook or crook, I've got one last chance to make the vision that seven-year-old Italian stallion thought was going to come to fruition. Mm Mm-hmm. And by God, I'm not going to miss it. And that means that man's going to have to kill me Mm -hmm. on my feet. Yeah. Because that's how dead on ball serious I am about completing this task. It's funny because I think he says that in part four, like (laughs) this man's going to have to kill me to prove that he's better than me. Well, let's get to the main event at the Philadelphia Spectrum. This is where the Sixers and the Flyers play, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they got this whole thing and Rocky comes out in his baggy, uh, robe and he gets a nice little pomp and circumstances, the local boy, but then Creed comes in and, oh my God, it's a show. And that's always Creed. Like he's going to show that even more later, but like on a float crossing the Delaware dressed as George Washington. And then he gets in the ring and then has like the uncle Sam top hat and this vest, (laughs) this glitterly sequined, like. Yeah, best like I, I told you, I was like, man, I couldn't imagine like a real boxer doing this. But he has that like Muhammad Ali, like never shut up quality to him. Right. Always talking, yammering this, this, this and that. Uh, he had to have taken some inspiration from Ali for that that character, at least. But we get into the fight and yeah, we, we get right into what Matt said. Uh, he's taken the punches to the face that's his defense mechanism and they're kind of <laughs> jumping and jiving creed oh, and in creed's moniker i always love this creed in three it's going to take him no more than three rounds to put this guy down and i love this moment here he's just trying to make his man make the first one see make a miss like that and he's just the champ is just taunting him now Dancing around. Oh, I don't believe it. The champ is down. Yes, he is. Creed is down. What a surprise this is. This is the first time the champion has ever been knocked down. Boy, believe it's coming in the town. Six. The fight changes at that moment. Like those lines, the champ has never in whatever illustrious boxing record he has, has never even been hit down to the ground. 
Matt, think about this. If Rocky was set in the real world, uh, you know, ESPN, Sports Center, they like to do like the 100 best sports moments. This is top. This would be top 10 in like, this would be there with like Miracle on Ice, mm-hmm. Kurt Gibson's Walk Off, Stanford Band, like all those great sports. Like this would be in it. Like the underdog that like literally in the first round just knocked the champ on his ass. And he catches him with the punch that's going to be his signature punch for the whole series. Mm-hmm. It's that shovel hook, I think is what he calls it. It's yeah. essentially an uppercut. Yeah. But man, does he catch him. Mm-hmm. And this is a really important and well done part of the film. And that's the sound effects that go with it. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that in the Rocky franchise, that includes Creed, especially in Creed 2. We'll get to that some other day. Yeah. When they hit each other, it doesn't sound like... It sounds like splitting wood. Mm-hmm. Like someone's taking a piece of wood and snapping it over their knee. There's a breaking sound to the impact on the big ones. And when he catches Creed on that and drops him like a bad habit, you can feel it. But here's the thing. He doesn't put Creed out. He just puts him down and, oh, have mercy on Balboa for the next 13, 11 rounds, 12 rounds. But you even see the look on Creed's face was like, oh, my God, like... He seems a little nervous when he gets up. Like, I've never been hit like that before. Well, this is the guy that couldn't pass on a cup of coffee to go see what was happening with mm-hmm. his trainer. Yep. And all of a sudden now he's in the middle of it. Yeah. And there's no escape because this man is intent on one thing. It's not winning. Yep. It's enduring 15 grueling mm-hmm. rounds. So he gets his nose broken. So how these fight scenes in this series, almost to the T, I think except Rocky Three is the exception, we get a mon- uh, we get to see rounds one and two fully. Then we get a montage of rounds three through fourteen, or three through thirteen. Then we get fourteen, and then we get to always get to like the last one. So what one, two, fourteen, fifteen? Yeah, and then a montage in um, between. In between, yeah. yeah. We talked about that. Um, I'm gonna see if I can't dig up the script this week, and maybe uh, we'll put the picture of that on Insta to see how it was written. Just see what that looks like. Um, again, the other part that. that we need to acknowledge in this is how well scored mm-hmm. that montage is. Yeah, Bill Conti, yeah, like it's is killing it literally. Yeah, and it gets it gets better too as the series progresses, just like the musical cues. But yeah, this is like it, it gets you. Oh, well, I know this. I'm jealous that I'm not like a Philadelphia Eagles fan because like like when they're making like a defensive stand, they start playing this music. If I was a football player cool. in Philadelphia, man, I would get so amped. Cool. <laughs> they start playing that. They play that dung. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, like I would get so into it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rocky takes a hell of a beating. <laughs> you're not really jealous you're an Eagles fan, though. You don't want yeah, to be part I, of that, do I, you? I guess not, no. Eh, they got their day. They did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> Go Broncos for you. <laughs> Go Broncos for me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Rocky takes a hell of a beating. And once we get to round 14 there, we get this moment where Creed puts Rocky down on the floor and... Mick's telling him, stay on the ground, get out of here. Like, got nothing else to prove. You made it this far. But that's not enough for Rocky. So he he gets up. And, like, the look on Creed's face is like, what do I have to do to beat or put this guy down? Like, he's, like, giving it all he's got. He just, like, this man's not going down. He shrugs his shoulders and kind of drops his head. And you can see at that moment, Creed's defeated. Mm-hmm. Rocky has, other than the final three minutes that he has to endure. Yeah. He's, he's at that last hurdle, Jesse. He's got to go one more hurdle, and the tape is just two, three strides ahead. 
Creed's also bleeding internally, like a, a couple more body shots, and he's just like, he's a mess. You know, there's, we'll get to the Academy Awards part in this. You probably know this. I should have looked it up. Mm. This had to have won Best Makeup, right? No, Editing, Director, and Picture. Because that's a sin. Yeah. That the <laughs> pulpy, swollen effects of these blows did not garner an Academy Award as a, an absolute sin. Their eyes are just completely closed shut. And as a kid, I never knew, uh, like, kind of what, like, cut me, Mick. Okay, like, what does that mean? And then, like, you Literally see. severing his eye flap skin. <laughs> so he can see through the eye flap because he it's so swollen. He can't see. He can't see. I wouldn't choose that. I'd rather just punch blindly. <laughs> that sounds painful. And that guy pulls out the razor and the blood spurts all over the place. That's gruesome. How far will he go yeah. to accomplish his goals to make sure that he matters to be the man that he wants? I guess he'll have his own eyelid removed. Yeah. Well, we get into the final round and Creed gives him a, a few, but but then this round belongs to Rocky, like at least 10 body shots and oh, Creed's spitting up blood now. I, I swear every time I watch this, I'm like, man, if Rocky had like, but like one more minute, I think he could have done it. I think he could have beat him in this thing, but the bell sounds and they're both they're both standing at this point. That barrage of shovel hooks that Creed takes in each one of them lifts him off the mat. Mm-hmm. He is pounding yeah. away at his guts. Mm-hmm. Um, That's one thing too. I think the fight choreography as this series uh, progresses, I actually think it gets better as the series moves on. You know, to like the sports tie in the real world that this always reminds me of. The most overhyped sporting event that I can remember from my youth was Tyson Spinks, mm. Michael Spinks. You know, Mike Tyson at that age was just running through guys in under five rounds. You know, I think James Bonecrusher Smith gave him a decent battle and Frank Bruno showed up for a few minutes here and there. But Mike Tyson in the <clears throat> early days was terrifying. Yeah. And this fight between he and Michael Spinks was hyped. And I remember we had a whole watch party at my house. It was on HBO. And that thing was over in 90 seconds. And mostly the big damage that Spinks took was a shovel hook to his guts from Tyson that absolutely blew him mm. up. Mm. Um, I'll find that video and send it your way. Okay. Oh, my God. That fight was over quicker than you could say boo. Were you disappointed? Yeah. Because and it, you, just, you, it just cemented the legacy of how 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 what a badass Mike Tyson was. Yeah. But you, you, you know, a woman undid him. Yeah. Thank when, God Mike Tyson didn't pick or think if Mike Tyson had just picked Adrian, he would have been fine. Yeah. Robin Givens. What um what the hell was I gonna say? You when you when you buy pay-per-view fights like that, you almost want like a, to watch a fight like this that's hell like yeah. very entertaining and very intense. So the bell rings. They're both kind of clutching each other. And I always like this because it's obviously it wasn't recorded on the spot because their mouths aren't moving properly. But like it had to have been ADR added after about there ain't going to be no rematch. There ain't going to be one. Don't want one. Don't want that one. doesn't even sound like Stallone. Like I don't think it is him. So someone added that in at some point. Maybe they knew like we could continue this at some point. But we get that great music by Bill Conti. And then this is what I love about, about this, this ending here is the reports going like, Rocky, you made it. You went the distance. How do you feel? He's like, I feel, I feel good. I feel all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My eye flaps open <laughs> and he just immediately starts clamoring for Adrian. Like, where's she at? I want to see her. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to hold her. I want to kiss her. And 
then just there's just so much going on if you're not paying attention to the sound. So they're yammering on about we don't have a winner. It's been it's a split decision. You can explain a little bit about that here in a second, but they're going on about who's what the decisions are through the whole thing. But like that's not even the importance of this because Rocky's goal and the audience's goal was to make it this far. So the music, the sound effects almost drown all that other shit out for this final moment between the two of them. And the, yeah, it's almost like the score of the of the scene, right? There's the music that sets the tone. Mm-hmm. If you listen carefully, you can see who wins the fight. Yeah. But most people aren't going to care. Yeah. And it poses an interesting question that, and I'll let you expand on on the scoring and what happened on that, but it poses a question that I want to ask you. Yeah. You have three choices. You can only choose one, Jesse. All right. Is this movie a romance? Is this movie a drama? Or is this movie a sports film? You can only choose one. I can only choose one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's spun right now. Based on how it ends, I almost have to go romance. I know. Yeah. That's what I think, too. Because the focus is on the two of them. Because a lot of the movie is not fighting. I think there's something like seven minutes of actual boxing footage in the entire sure, film. Yeah, that's that's right. It's the development of the relationship between those two. Yep. I think romance one, drama two, and sports film three. Yeah. But I would say yeah. in my list of greatest sports films ever, this is number one. Oh, yeah. We're hypocrites. Yeah, we are. But it's interesting because they're like literally as they embrace, they're like, Adrian, where's your hat? And she's like, Rocky, I love you. I love you. And then they have this moment. The music's amazing and it's making me feel all the things inside. The last, I think, line of dialogue is some diegetic sound off to the right saying, Apollo Creed, like unimportant. With a bit of controversy, though, too. Yeah, why don't you explain about that? So, boxing, if it's not a knockout, is scored by three judges who sit ringside on a point system. And at the end of the fight, the points have been awarded to the boxers per who won each round. So, like, if Creed wins round nine, most of the time they win 10-9. That means Creed gets 10, Rocky gets nine. If there's a knockdown, it's usually scored 10-8 to the knockdown-er, mm-hmm. not the knockdown e getting the 10. Yeah. So by all intent, Creed probably is ahead on points. But brilliantly done, I don't know if it's in the screenplay or this was directorial or production decision, Mm -hmm. Rocky, or the the fight comes down to a split decision. What that means is the three judges that sit ringside have different views on who won. Split decision means it has to be unanimous or it has to be two out of three. Two judges see it in favor of one guy, one judge sees it, or one gal sees it in judge... Uh, favor of the other Mm -hmm. two see one winning one sees the other winning so there is some controversy layered in here judge a has it creed judge b has it rocky judge c gotta listen carefully Mm -hmm. has it creed by one point in one round i mean the thinnest of margins yeah but he wins yep and he retains his belt Mm -hmm. so that'll become a, a thing going forward in the next film about whether he truly really won and there's that whole controversy but that's not what this film's about it was it was the goal of this film was i just got to last he does he gets that at the end of the day and then the film gets out and i don't want to trample anybody's sports knowledge so if you already know boxing you know i'm sorry to to waste your time with this <laughs> split decisions even still today are controversial yeah 
one judge saw something different, which then begs the question, mm -hmm. what did you see that the other two didn't? And then we get into the reimagining or the introspective breakdown of yeah. it, blah, 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 blah. You almost want the knockdown. It makes it simpler. It does. Yeah. Because one person's winning. If you want to see the best example, like I love boxing. Yeah. For everybody out there, the best example of how someone can steal rounds and thus steal a fight Go back and watch Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler 2. Mm. Marvin Hagler, for most of those rounds, beats the hell out of Ray Leonard for about two minutes and 15 seconds of the three-minute rounds. And Leonard goes on these little 30-second flurries at the end of the round that are just flashy enough to make the mm. judges remember what they saw last. And he, I don't want to say he steals the fight because there's an argument to be made that he won it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. It's a great fight to watch. You can get it on YouTube, on ESPN Classics. It's You can find it okay. like for free. Nice. Watch that because I think that is the best example of how controversial scoring can be short of, you know, somebody threw it in and they're the mafia and all that other kind of film noir stuff that actually <laughs> happens in, in boxing. But in a real legitimate fight, mm -hmm. that's a great example. Excellent. And we get that in this. Mm -hmm. In, you just said it. Yeah. In the background. Yeah. Like it, it's diegetic noise in the background that you don't care about unless you really care about it. Yeah. But still yeah. addressed. Yep. Smart. That, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that's the, the, just how everything ties up here at the end. And then we get the freeze frame to the credits. And as we stated earlier, the film was a big hit for 76 and into 77, but then still an underdog at the Academy Awards that year. It was nominated for 10. I think Burgess Meredith, Burt Young, Stallone, all nominated for acting None of them won, but for film editing, uh, director John G. Avildsen and pitcher. But the pitcher was like, literally like, it snuck in at the last minute. It was almost like a split decision. <laughs> Crazy five films that are nominated that year. Mm -hmm. Network, uh, All the President's Men, Taxi Driver, Rocky, and I can never remember that fifth one. I'm going to look it up right now. There was no question that when the names were announced that Rocky was the underdog. I mean, just think about Taxi Driver and Network alone, okay? I think that those two are standalone any year. There's two years. That's this year, and then there's, was it 95, the Pulp Fiction year? That's oh, the yeah, other 95, one. 95, 94. Mm -hmm. That's the other one. They don't release the, the votes on Best Picture, but from two different accountings that I've read from magazines that are not around anymore, but I used to find to be very credible, the story goes that Taxi Driver, Network, and all the president's men bound for glory was the other one. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever that okay, is. Okay. So four of the five are really solid films. Mm -hmm. if, have you ever seen bound for glory? Mm -mm. I haven't either. I think that speaks to maybe we have a, you know, an outlier here, but Oh, Talia Shire was nominated as well. Wow. Okay. So we got lots of people highly acclaimed. All accounting goes that taxi driver network and the, all the president's men split the vote almost equally. And Rocky snuck across the finish line, and the percentages were not released. But at the time, it might still hold the day. I don't know if it is, because, again, you can't find this. But the story goes that it was the lowest percent best picture winner of vote to ever win best picture. That's crazy. A split decision. Yep. Just but, just, but deserving. Yeah. Is Rocky a better film than Network? I think so. Is Rocky a better film than All the President's Men? I think so. Hell yes. Is Rocky a better film than Taxi Driver? Yeah, that's a little harder. That's tough. Yeah, that's a little harder. That's tough. But 
Equally, I'd rather watch Rocky than all of those films. Fair. Taxi Driver is a heavy movie. We might have to watch Bound for Glory just to make sure that we can finish it, but I, I just, it just sounds so, just so opulent, el- doesn't it? Eliminate. That sounds like Oscar bait is what it, it sounds. It sure does. Uh, so yeah, it has this legacy. It's a huge hit. Stallone's a big star after this. Maybe he does Nighthawks with Rucker Hauer after that. After I this. like that film. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then and then we lead way into, well, what's next? Rocky 2. And this is when, like, when sequels, like we had like Godfather Part 2 and like sequels weren't like a thing. I think we, Jaws 2 came out the same summer as Rocky 2 actually. So then sequels started becoming more of the nomenclature for the Hollywood blockbuster machine. But more on that next week because I really like Rocky too, like a lot, 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 lot. Me too. Yeah. So that'll be a good view. But let's wrap up this one, uh, Matt. Who's what's your favorite tasting note of Rocky? Probably the scene when Mick comes to the apartment and they have the conversation about "Let me be your manager." It's raw. Burgess Meredith is so good, mm-hmm. so good in that. Oh yeah. I can't wait for next week because we're going to talk about arguably my favorite scene in all of film oh really don't tell me don't tell me okay okay uh, really i'm not that, i'm just not just hyperbole okay. in the show all right excellent he's just so good in that and they're they're so exposed and raw and vulnerable and angry and it's regret mm-hmm. it's just brilliantly written and masterfully delivered by two people who are in complete control yeah of the characters they're playing on screen amen that's it for me Mine's going to be the the mural conversation with the boxing promoter. So it, it just says so much without saying very little about what everyone that's not Rocky and Adrian really truly thinks of, of who he is and what this is. And I think it speaks a lot to how we set up Stallone as you're uneducated, you're a bit of a doof, you're kind of stupid, uh, you're just using your body, and you're, a, you're nobody, but hopefully give us a good show and Creed gets the pedestal that he's trying to prove. Great. It says a lot about about this film. Yeah. What's the oh my God. I need to take a shot moment from Rocky. My, go ahead. You go ahead. Mine's easy. It's the cutting scene. Because as a kid, I, I didn't really knew what that was. And I was like, man, he's like squirting blood. I'm like, that's strange. But then I was like, oh my God, like he's cutting the eye skin flaps so he can see. Like, who would want that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard to watch. I would say, call the fight, man. Don't cut my eye flap skin. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rocky has to go through a hell of an operation here in the second film at the beginning. And they said, yeah, you almost went blind, buddy. <laughs> right. Detached retina. Your eyelid doesn't work anymore. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be different. Although I, I probably would agree with you. Yeah. Mine's probably the Burt Young, Polly freak out scene with the baseball bat. Not him throwing the turkey into the alley. <laughs> That's hard to watch, too, because he's just such an asshole. That's messed up. But I told you, I think the relationship that he shares with Adrian seems to border on abusive. Mm -hmm. And he's got this bat, and she's pretty comfortable when he holds it. So that's one thing that sort of alleviates a little bit of the tension. But, man, he loses it and just starts destroying everything in the room. And I got to just say, Talia Shire and the scenes that are written with her and men breaking things, whether it be Carlo in The Godfather mm-hmm. or Polly in this, mm-hmm. is terrific in that space. Yeah, she plays scared. Yeah, as weird as that sounds, really well. Well, she doesn't back down. Uh, no. Yeah, I um, think that's part of it. And she kind of doesn't back down in The Godfather too, and that's what makes it even worse. Yeah, Carlo beats the hell out of her. Um, he did what? God damn it. <laughs> Yep, and Rocky, and Rocky gets shot on the causeway. Yep. 
Uh, that's I, it's that's hard, good. That's hard to watch. That man. yeah, that's yeah. yeah Domestic abuse Oof. sequences are those are rough in film. That's like all raging bull actually. Yeah, good. nothing but that. Like good point. <laughs> Who's the master distiller on Rocky? Are we gonna have the same one here? Yeah, probably. Hard not to. Let's just get him out of the way right away, and then we can move forward. Well, these guys, you might show up a lot in this franchise, but it's got to be Stallone. Yeah. His passion project, his brainchild, what he had to leverage just to get this, sticking with his guns to make it happen. And it can't, James Kahn, Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford, whoever was rumored and what, Burt Reynolds, it can't happen without Stallone. Like, this is this is his role. It's like he makes it so likable and believable. And there's times when I'm watching this series and I'm just like, man, I feel so bad for him, just the way he's being treated. And it's just, he knows no better. He is uneducated, but he can't do anything about that at this age now. No argument on any of that. It's him. And he's going to even take more of a, a strength in this franchise because he actually starts directing the rest of the series going forward and writing it. So By proxy, he sort of did that in this one. Yeah. I mean, he certainly produced it by buying the script back mm-hmm. and then the casting element. So... Yeah, it's him. I mean, we could make the case it's him and all of them. Burgess Meredith is really good as Mickey in this film and the and this franchise. Just so cantankerous and move your little chicken asses out of here. Oh, that's Penguin. You're going to eat lightning and you're going to crap thunder. He's got some great lines and rhetoric based on just his history of what he went through as a boxer, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, maybe could have made it had his fight been publicized instead of the Dempsey fight that one night, but that's he's a, like a has-been fighter is what he is. Mighty has ma- been or never was, and that's a tough place to be. Yep. So that's a tough place to be as a fighter. Mm-hmm. That's a tough place, even tougher place to be as a human, and yep. that's Rocky's real story. Yep, exactly. Has been or never was. Yep. Got to fix that. How are you going to rate and grade uh, Rocky? We have Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf Ratings. Much like our whiskey... What are you going to give Rocky? Obviously, Rock Gut. <laughs> rock Gut Rocky. No. Um, top, top, top shelf. Yeah. And a lot like the conversation that I hope someday if we do the the, the Mafia cast, mm-hmm. there's a possibility that it may not be my f- most favorite in the entire franchise. Mm. Like, I love it. It's an immaculate film. Almost perfect. Yeah. Um. It's a great sports film because sports takes like a backdrop to like the human emotion and the characters, but it doesn't like drown you in like melodrama. Like the sports propels the the story of what he needs to do to improve his his life, his character arc throughout this thing. So it succeeds in that regard. Yeah, top shelf, top shelf, top 20 of all time. All time. It's a top shelf film for me too. It's... I don't know how you don't just stand up and cheer watching this. It's 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 that it's a wonderful life type of moment of just a feel good cheer movie. Uh, yeah, it's rough and abusive in the beginning, but that's setting up the characters so that they can all be triumphant in their own regard at the end. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is a, a great seminal film. I think you know I think Raging Bull's probably like a better made film. I think you got Martin Scorsese making that. 
but that's a rough movie to watch too, man. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think I could just like, I could watch Rocky like all the time, this whole franchise. And I like how humble Rocky is and the seedlings of what we're going to see going forward. They all start here in 1976 and going forward, it just gets more interesting. And you literally followed the progression of like an athlete who aspires to greatness and, and heights that he didn't expect to get to. It's edgy the same way Raging Bull is, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. A not quite so off-putting way. And a part of it is just the way that Raging Bull is shot, just so stark and black and white. Yep. Like you said earlier, the characters in this film are so colorful that <clears throat> they provide an anterior visual break from the harsh world of boxing that you don't get in Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Everything you just said is right for me also, and it's an absolute masterpiece. I don't know how, yeah. it just is, period. Excellent. I'm sure there are people that don't like it, but I don't want to hear from you for a few weeks. <laughs> don't talk to <laughs> just me. Just kidding. <laughs> no. no like, oh, I kind of, kind of, I don't scoff at people that say I don't like Rocky. I just think it's misunderstood in the conversation of what it is. Well, the, the argument that bugs me about this franchise all the time is it's too much boxing. Mm-hmm. What the hell did you think you were buying a ticket for? Yeah. Because actually, if you look at the runtime, it's not that much boxing. Yeah. You might argue it's a bit formulaic as we move through. Mm-hmm. But like that's like watching Harry Potter and saying, there's just too much magic. <laughs> this is, what? Yeah, exactly. What do you mean? If you Did you not like boxing? Then what are you doing? Yeah. You know, I went to watch this musical, and they just sang the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's not the movie's fault. You're just an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it gets a bad rap. A lot of that's to what we explained about Stallone and just yeah. kind of his his personality, which is it's that it can't be farther from the truth. Right. Uh, but we'll get into more of that here in the in the coming weeks. But let's uh, end this thing with a nightcap. Bill Conti's great score again. Nice choice on the way out. This should be the proverbial forever nightcap music. music does something interesting because it's a uplifting because it's bum 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 but it's also melancholy it's almost like yeah you're like you're you've lost something in that regard of playing i'm pretty sure they play that in the mural scene when he's leaving the arena and it's 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 very sad and that that little piano melody is going to show up a lot in this franchise yeah it sure is (laughs) just to break my heart (laughs) find something that works do it so let's end with the nightcap. So this is an interesting film, and being that Rocky doesn't win the final fight, uh, our main protagonist. Uh, so I think we want to kind of like pick our favorite or favorite of the day of another film where the protagonist or lead characters don't win the final, don't win the film. Yeah. No happy endings. This film has a happy ending. Right. Yeah. What are you picking? The man who shot Liberty Valance. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Did you know I was going to do that? I, I, I kind of, I kind of went that way. It was either that or, or another one. Yeah, it's um, done so well on the train sequence with the elderly Ransom Stoddard has come back to Shinbone to look what the legacy of his life has been, and the totality of that it was based on a lie. As mm-hmm. the main star in that film, 
the man who shot Liberty Valance. They got him the girl and civilized the state and got him to the states of you know, United States congressman. He wasn't the man that shot Liberty Valance. In fact, it was John Wayne. Yeah. And the look that he gives Vera Miles at the end and the acknowledgement that she knew better this whole time is devastating. Yeah. That's that, a good one. That's my choice. Yeah, we're going to do that film one day. We'll do a Western cast, cause, and then we'll talk about that one, because that's, that's a loaded film. Yeah. That, that, that's good stuff. I thought about a lot of things, you know, but I'm trying to mix mix it up a little bit. I talk about the Dark Knight a lot. We talk about Infinity War a lot, and obviously, you know, the heroes theoretically don't kind of win the day in, in those films. But, man, it happens a lot in horror. It mm-hmm. sure does. And I tried to think of, like, one or just, like, the bleakest, like, kind of ending of, like, what is going to happen after. And we see what happens, and it's mostly stupid. But 1976, the same year as this film, The Omen. The Good last choice. shots of The Omen are a cemetery and two caskets, this funeral Assumingly that that's Robert Thorne, Gregory Peck, and and Damian Thorne in the grave there. And then as, like, Mr. President, and they did this whole president line, and then you see the little boy, and then he turns to the camera, and a wry smile tickles the corner of Damian's face. Yeah. The devil won the day in that film. The whole film is like, you got to kill that kid, because he's going to bring about the end of days. Yeah. And they don't. And it's like, what next? And that's Damien the Omen 2 and the final conflict with Sam Neill, which are mostly not great. But that alone, that image of him smiling, saying, I got you and I'm still here. And then the film ends with Jerry Goldsmith's great score and then a passage from Revelations. Has that not sent chills down your back? Like, it's so well done. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you consider Hereditary? I did did a little bit. I did a little bit. That's a good one. Yeah. What else did you think? Do you have an honorable mention other than that? It's such a fun topic. It is. I did think a little, like, I did think Halloween. I tried to kind of steer yeah. end the thing. Like, I tried to steer away from the ones that Dark Knight, I, the ones I talk about a lot. But when I got into the space of just the totality of, like, thinking, in what scenario did it end up, like, worse for those characters? And, like, that one's bad because no one other than the people that were trying to kill him, no one knows who that kid is. Like, they start from scratch again. Yeah. In the quest of who's the Antichrist. It's this little boy. And it works too because that little boy is just so creepy too. Not Inception? It's kind of a happy ending. Happy-ish ending. That, that the, the top topple's over in that one. I think so too. Yeah. That's fun. Good. That's, a, that's good. I, I, like, I like an ending that just kind of subverts the happily ever after expectation and really makes you think about the character. Because then those are usually good character pieces then. Like you're really invested in the characters and Oh, you know another one that's really good? I don't know if you've seen it. It's a film called Life with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. Wildly underrated in pan film. I thought that movie was terrific. Oh, I kind of want to spoil it now, but maybe we shouldn't because that ending is as awesome. bleak as it can be and just totally comes out of nowhere. Agreed. I'm not going to say what it is. Let's not do it. That's like, yeah, that's like that's like the Alien Covenant film that I wanted that it, it isn't. It isn't that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's yeah, yeah there, there's some there's some there's some good entries out there. I, at seven, you can kind of make the case. Well, John Doe does die. At what cost did it take on these two men, especially Brad Pitt? God, I didn't even think about seven. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah, it's not better than 
wouldn't be what better than the one I chose. Sure, yeah, sure. Except, sure. Seven's yeah. a great choice. Well, excellent, Matt. This has been a lot of fun talking and getting, uh, uh, jumping right into the deep end with this franchise with Rocky from 1976. We're going to continue on this train uh, next week with Rocky Two. It's a very inspired title. It doesn't mess around. It's just tell you it's the second film in this franchise. All right. See, that was a thing they didn't even do back then either. Like, if there was a sequel, it had like uh, the Bride of Frankenstein, Rocky Two: Dr- The Comeback. Yeah, Dracula's Daughter, or the the second Godzilla film after the first one is Godzilla Raids again. They're, they're putting a number in it almost kind of instantly schlockifies your film kind of still kind of still does to an extent but i think this is definitely an exception of really being uh in full control of where these characters are and where they're gonna go and like i said earlier i really like rocky too i might like it a little more than this first one (laughs) case to be made i agree yeah the end is man the end just makes me feel everything and then it ties back into the sixth film later but we'll get into that no no need in getting ahead of ourselves but we got that coming next week right so cheers matt cheers jesse cheers thank you to listeners we hope you enjoyed this dive into the rocky franchise please hit us up on facebook or instagram leave us any uh, reviews on itunes spotify podbean stitcher follow us spread the word help us Tell people why it's called Rice Final Films. There you go. Uh, But yeah, until next week, I got to go. I'm going to go make myself an egg cocktail, but I'm going to throw up the second I drink that. I don't know how Stallone did that because that's like for real. He did that. I just got a text from Gazzo. Bob's still (laughs) 70 bucks light. How do you spell Del Rio? (laughs) Get a dictionary. All right. Joe Spinelli, have you ever seen Maniac with Joe Spinelli? He's like a serial killer. Like that's a brutal film. 1980. Hmm. Uh, that man had an interesting career too. Yeah. After the James Spader cast, we'll do the Spinelli the cast. Spinelli cast. <laughs> Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a rating and a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Rocky is property of United Artists and Chartoff Winkler Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. I love you.